Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Two Scene Podcast. Welcome, first-time listeners, to the Two Scene Podcast, the podcast where two journalists sit down and talk baseball. I am your host, Tyler Foy, and with me, as always, is the wonderful Camilo Fonseca. And Happy New Year to all of our listeners, and I hope that 2023 has brought you some some early joy and you know some fans of different teams might be feeling a little different about their seasons going into this year but you could say that but i hope that you found some joy what camilo have you felt you know going into your season just getting right into baseball the rays what excites you well you know i think um continuity is key Continuity is key. And I say that because we haven't really done much of anything, the Rays front office. But uh, no, I don't know. The offseason's not over. Um, there's still, you know, some deals that are left to be done. Um, but I, I think we're increasingly getting the sense that most of the big name deals, um, at least with established players, have already uh, gone through. And I'm sure we will talk about some of those big name deals. Um, some of them are so big that they happen not once, not twice, but three times. Uh, <laughs> you what, know, could I be, time, what could I be referring to? The third time yeah. is the charm, and I hope that the Rays front office makes some baseball, you know, New Year's resolutions, maybe. Hopefully. Um, I have my own baseball resolution is to go to more Red Sox games in next season because I got to start paying um, to make sure that we can sign more players, maybe. Yeah, and, that's true. Um, you gotta. I have to pay off this Devers contract, which we'll get into um, later in this episode. But yeah, you know, why don't we start right at the uh, the biggest drama that's happened since we last recorded was the Carlos Correa saga, which we dedicated quite some time to in the last episode, talking about how he was going to go to the San Francisco Giants, and we were so sure of it. Um, yeah, because usually when signings are, you know, like, announced and everything, you th- you assume that, you know, because it's announced, usually it's a done deal. But always on those tweets, on those Jeff Passan tweets, there's a little, there's a little uh, caveat there that says pending physical. Mm-hmm. And we never, we never really pay attention to that caveat because usually the physicals are all fine, you know? But apparently, um, according to the San Francisco Giants, uh, Carlos Correa's physical was not all fine um and so that's what led to this this like three week long drama of what team he was going to go to um and the the giants i think ended up withdrawing their offer they were trying to renegotiate something and then in comes steve cohen owner of the new york mets and um he starts shelling out the big money so you think that's where carlos correa is going to end up right so carlos correa new york met right yeah yeah. Sounds sounds about right. Yeah. Um but actually the Mets used the same doctor that also, you know, said that Carlos Correa wasn't fine that the Giants used. Strangely, in fact, I think there's a lot of anti-Carlos Correa that lives in me, but this is actually a move that I don't exactly understand. Um but they sought out the same doctor that didn't approve of uh Carlos Correa's physical the first time. A second time, and uh, he they he said again that he was not ready to play. So the Mets withdrew their offer. 
Yeah. Well, it, I I don't know if it was what happened. So Carlos Correa ended up signing with the Minnesota Twins. Oh my God, crazy! I feel like we've been here before. Um, but the the thing that surprises me is that the there's so many or not even surprises me, but the really interesting thing is that everybody in this situation disagrees about pretty much every important detail like they disagree about how many doctors were seen i think that i think the the per, the people that were saying that they looked at san the the mets looked at san francisco's uh doctor who did the physical i think those were scott boris's people Car- carlos correa's agents people um i'm not saying that's not true but i it was certainly you know i think there might be more to the story there i think the mets probably had their own physical as well i just think it's strange that they haven't said any like they didn't come out and and refute or anything uh that that claim that did come from carlos correa's people well but But, the thing is i think part of it is that you get into some really murky legal territory because some people like before correa went and signed with the twins again um people were saying that he was gonna have to be on the mets because steve cohen came out on twitter and he was talking about oh we're signing carlos correa and apparently in the CBA, the, the Players Union CBA, it gets really murky as to whether team owners or, or teams in general can talk about that before there is actually paperwork being signed, you know, pending physical or not. So they were, they were thinking that the, what, what I think a lot of Mets fans in particular were worried about is that they were going to have to pay Carlos Correa um, $26 million a year knowing that he was not able to play. Now, we don't know if he is able to play or not. The twins certainly seem to think that, that everything is fine. But um, what is interesting is well, that Well, I mean, also, he was... Before he opted out of the twins, I mean, he was going to have to play there regardless, right? I mean, he had a great right. contract with the twins. Um, and the good thing is no to. that he, like, he is well-liked in that organization. You know, he's, he's uh, well-liked by his teammates. He's a good figure in the clubhouse. He seems to at least like the city of Minnesota, or the, the city of Minneapolis, excuse me. Um, Carlos Correa likes it in Minnesota, so I don't think that this is catastrophe for him. Um, but he is getting less money, at least per year, than he would have if he had just not opted out of his contract, you know? Um, and I guess he's got that six-year, or that extra four years of term, which is nice, especially for someone who may, you know, potentially have uh, a career-threatening ankle injury. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I It's a, it's such a, a strange situation. And genuinely, I can't think of any other situation in professional sports that is even remotely similar to the drama that was going on because everybody had their own and still has their own side of the story. But like you said, it's it's the management of the Giants and the Mets seem not very keen on on giving sure. much of their side of the story. Yeah, I mean, we've seen fallouts in, in other sports. And I, I just want to go back to that pending physical conversation that you had. I really haven't seen... Uh, many deals in baseball fall out because of pending physicals. I see that all the time with, uh, you know, soccer. I see that happen quite often. Mm-hmm. But I feel this is the only real memorable one for me for a baseball acquisition. Right, because you don't think about it. Like, it's, 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 I genuinely can't think of another time either, you know. It's, it's wild that this 
could have happened. And it's certainly worse for the Giants, I think, than the Mets. Because the Mets, I think, without Carlos Correa, the, the Mets don't need, didn't need Carlos Correa in the first place. Uh, I think that was sort of Steve Cohen's, you know, shiny, shiny keys syndrome, uh, shiny toy syndrome. But the Giants, having missed out on Aaron Judge, and now this whole uh, fallout with Correa, you re- there re- really have to be some questions being asked in San Francisco. And I'm not saying that it was a bad idea to walk away from the Correa deal that was negotiated. Because that was a big, you know, 13-year commitment. But with the way this offseason has gone for San Francisco, a team that was looking to bounce back next year, there have got to be some real questions being asked in that front office. Sure, but I mean, you at least on from a fan perspective um and obviously i i don't i can't exactly speak for the actual fans of the giants but they have shown that they're committed to improve um but but and shown i i i don't think it's it's the problem isn't commitment i think the the issue is that when you're not able to attract or maybe not even just attract but to re to actually sign any big name uh, free agent talent because they haven't you know the they they their two primary focuses were complete failures this year. I I this see. I just don't know. I the Giants being a failure first. Uh, not the Giants <laughs> being a failure. The Judge part being the failure. I can kind of see, but if. If Carlos Correa can't play, I mean, it's, then he can't play. But I according mean, to the Twins, he can play. Well, so what, I, what boggles me is how wide is this difference of opinion? Obviously, I, I don't think it's that Carlos Correa can't play. I think it's that they are concerned with his fragility or his his, his vulnerability of, of something in that leg that happened in, in that slide that... that injured him for you know the the rest of last season after that the twins seem to think that it's not an issue um the mets didn't think that it was an issue the giant and i'm again i'm not saying that what the giants did was wrong but it's you know you can't keep going to your fan base with these explanations that are just that may or may not be justified but a a fan base is going to get tired of that you know because a a front office has to start delivering at some point and obviously these circums there were circumstances that were out of their control um and like i said we don't know what carlos correa situation is i'm not a doctor but it's true, we are not doctors. We're not doctors. But I, I, if I was a San Francisco Giant fan, I would be very unhappy right now. I think I'd be more confused. Maybe that's just because I'm already in a fan base that is confused. But, <laughs> um, and maybe I can relate to that more. But I don't know. I feel that I would still feel pretty good about my front office. And they were able to attract korea to come play for them it's not baseball isn't a sport of you know there are small and large market teams but unlike you know i'm I'm going back to soccer again that's a wide sport of many leagues many different reputations and many different clubs you know it's not 
I feel like that's not much more of an issue in, in baseball. And they still were able to, to grab some people like Michael Conforto and, and Taylor Rogers to kind of help out some areas of their team. They still went out and got an outfielder. I get it. But when Michael Conforto is your headline signing of the offseason, that's tough to swallow, especially for a team that, at least for me, I thought they were on the up and up. Well, you thought they were on the up and up, and then I was like, oh, they're a fluke, and then all of a sudden <laughs> well, they no, weren't no, no, exactly yeah, on the right, up and right, up right. anymore. Right. Um, I don't know. I guess, they. I mean, they. I should mention they got Ross Stripling, so I guess that's a, a bigger name than <laughs> Michael Conforto. I don't think so. I think Michael Conforto, he's the bat. He's the guy. He's the, he's the better player in that situation. Also, you know, we're talking about different teams having a headline name for their for their offseason. Um, but I can't remember who the Rays headline name is. Well, okay. That's not we don't we don't need to get into that. We get it no need to get into that. Sorry, um, the Red Sox headline name. The Red Sox is, headline uh, name was somebody that should have been there that shouldn't have been signed this late in the first place. Hmm. So Are you referencing maybe I don't know, Bogarts? No. No, not Bogarts. <sighs> no, I was talking. Really let that one slip, huh? I was talking about Adam Duvall, actually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I was thinking actually Justin Turner, but I, I it's strange. Turner. It's strange. Mm-hmm. The Red Sox offseason's been strange. Um, and why don't we actually go hit that right away? Right now, you know, Devers' deal is done. They signed Devers to a 11-year deal worth 331 million, which is about 30 million per year. And yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm happy that we have a franchise player. You know, we've you've heard my opinions in, in previous episodes where I said that due to his age and his ability to continuously improve so far in his career, uh, I'm very confident in in his ability, even if. You know, I f- one thing that I fear all the time when players sign deals is that next year, because there's so much pressure on that player to succeed in that following season, because, you know, you're going to judge an 11 year deal on the first season because it's it's prominent in your mind. Um, so I'm a little scared because what if he doesn't do well and then we're all made fun of over at the Red Sox? Well, I tell you what, I was so worried um, as a Raids fan that we were going to have to play Rafael Devers in a contract year. Um, and that's not the case anymore. So say what you will about what contract years do for players, you know, psychologically. But um, I, I'm a little bit relieved to hear that he's, uh, that he's not going into next offseason trying to, trying to prove his worth. Well, based off of the rest of the Red Sox organization, I feel that you wouldn't have had to worry too much. Well, um, I tell you what, though. I genuinely don't think that the Red Sox have had that bad of an offseason. And we were talking about this earlier. All things considered, looking at where the Red Sox were this season, you know, at the end of the season in October, bottom of the American League East, near the bottom of the American League, you know, it was... Resigning at least one of Bogarts or Devers was a priority, and at least one of those got accomplished. You know, and you've—I mean, you talk about Justin Turner, Adam Duvall. You know, all jokes aside, at least that is an addition. 
You know, um, and they got some bullpen. They got uh, Chris Martin and uh, Kenley Jansen, which exactly. we discussed earlier. Um, Justin Turner, I think we, we already talked about. And I like their some of their minor leaguers, um, well, minor league deals that they've gotten, like Jorge Alfaro. But, you know, I think going into this offseason was strange because the Red Sox had just um you know the Red Sox were just poor they had poor performances yep. all throughout the um the season and a lot of us Red Sox fans were looking for you know Heim Bloom is is big on it seems to be grabbing little tiny pieces here and there you know gathering chips but That's we were the looking way. We were That's lo- the Rays way we were looking for the jackpot we were looking for something a little more um promising to make us a better team and i just don't know if this is gonna make us a better team and also i've stated this in previous episodes i don't even know if i want to be a good team right now well the issue is for me you know it's again not an issue for me but (laughs) what i see as an issue um is that you know despite all these additions which i think are going in the right direction the losses that have happened i mean We've talked about Xander Bogarts. Nathan Eovaldi's leaving. I don't know what that's going to do to that rotation. Uh, um, that rotation, for my money, is practically non-existent. Well, I mean, um, was Eovaldi being in that rotation make it existent? No. He, we, have a, we have had and have a bunch of flip coin players, as I like to call them, <laughs> which one day Eovaldi could pitch a shutout and the next day he'll give up 17 and there's an inside the park home run or something. But, you know, it, it's... Well, but the other thing is, uh, what's made even worse by the uh, the Bogart situation is Trevor Story getting injured. You know, or apparently he was. Oh injured. my god, I can't believe we didn't even discuss that. Well, I'll let you. I don't know the chronology of this, but it's mind blowing to me that you sit on this injury for this long, and then in January you're announced that you're getting surgery. Like, why didn't you get surgery in, in I don't know, in October when you found out that you were injured? It's, it's, it, I guess he was trying to rehab it or, I don't know, that whole decision made, that situation in particular is just astonishing to me that it was not dealt with sooner. I have a little bit of a theory myself, and this is not from reports that I've seen. I just want to say this is completely my own speculation, is that, Trevor Story was under the impression, you know, he's had a has had an arm injury and it's it's been like a rehab situation like you you talked about and it's actually been something that he's had for a while now. He was under the impression that he was going to be playing second base and continuing to play second base, second base, second base. And so were the Red Sox. They were like, "Okay, we're going to get a shortstop. We're going to get somebody to play shortstop." But but who but now, <laughs> but now that they don't have somebody to play shortstop, Trevor Story, they're looking to move him back to shortstop, right? They're mo- moving Story back, and his arm just will not hold up because it's, you know, further distance, more stress on the arm that they want to get the surgery, and that's why they're doing it. I, that's just my own speculation. I think but. that I think that certainly makes a lot of sense. But now the Red Sox are left with not only no shortstop, but no second baseman. You know, and it, we don't even know if he's going to play in 2023, regardless of, of 
like I don't see what you can do. Genuinely, I have no idea other than calling up people from from AAA. Well, this is which... um this is the situation, okay? <laughs> Kenley Jansen's gonna have to play infield and pitch. It's it's just I mean it's that simple, honestly. But um no, I, the Red Sox definitely. I mean they've been wanting to use their system in general. They um. And that's why they've been drafting four straight or three straight middle infielders as first round draft picks is because Nick York or someone, I don't, I don't even know. I mean, they DFA'd Jeter Downs as well. Don't forget that. They did that. That was tragic. That was tragic. He could have played middle infield and been bad, but he could have played <laughs> it. And he was already on the 40 man, right? So it's it's a very confusing time. And once again, I just, I don't know whether I want the Sox to be successful. Maybe we just need to be bad. Oh, I know whether I want the Red Sox to be successful or not. Mm. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting. I they have made all certainly more additions than the Rays. The Rays have done absolutely nothing. Sat on their hands. They did have a good international signing period. The Red um, Sox signed like eight people, which I feel that. They're like trying to cover their bases. I think they should just maybe just try to go for one big name. But I, I mean, they're always you know we we know nothing about the international exactly. It's so hard, especially these are like fifteen. I mean, we could devote a whole episode to it, but really, it's just a crapshoot because these are you know fifteen, sixteen, seventeen year olds. Um, I was that... pretty proud of my draft episode that I had, but I don't think I'd be proud of putting all that time into international free agents because there's just so much. There's so much room for variation and as well. And also, depending not a on lot organization. of, you know, when you're doing the draft, right? You know, and these people are coming from high school and colleges in the States. You know, it's a lot easier to find scouting reports and also watch film on these kids. But when you're doing international, a lot of these people, they don't have anything on them. Nothing. Right. So. Exactly. It's, it's pretty difficult. So you just got to wait how and see how they develop. Um but yeah, I, I think international signings aside, the Red Sox are doing fine. Um, yeah, and from you know the trade perspective, um, since the last episode, I think the biggest one has been from going back to, to Minnesota, the Twins traded Luis Arias, who was the American League batting champion. And um, I am a huge fan of this guy. You know... I love the way he plays. He, he's not, you know, he's a pure contact hitter trying to find grass out there in the outfield. It's not always going to be the hardest hit ball, but it's going to be a ball that finds grass. And he's going to the Miami Marlins. Uh, so the Fish are doing some deals over there in Miami, getting Arias. And uh, he's going to be their second baseman. You know, a player that the Red Sox really could have used. And I don't know if we didn't really have the necessary pieces to acquire him, but... Um, he is going to be playing infield there, and Jazz Chisholm, who was the second baseman on the Marlins prior to this deal, is actually moving to center field. Um, Camilo, what was in this deal, though, for the Minnesota Twins? Uh, well, the Minnesota Twins are getting back Pablo Lopez, who's one of the the I, I don't you couldn't really call him an ace, but strong part of that Miami rotation. Worked to a three point seven five ERA last year. Um, I don't know if that's, yeah, that must be a career best. No, he had a, sorry, I'm looking at the baseball reference. He had a 307 in 2021, so a little bit of regression. But, you know, I like Pablo Lopez. They also got some prospects as well. Uh, two top infield and outfield prospects. 
um, went to the Twins. So that makes it a little more even. If it was just, initially what was reported was that it was just Arias for Lopez, um, which would have been a complete fleece by Miami. Um, but I don't know. I'm not very familiar genuinely with either Jose Salas or uh, Byron Churio, uh, those two prospects. I know a little bit but... about Salas. He's going to be probably shortstop, I would presume, in their system. That's what he's going to be playing. But uh, he seemed he's, he's okay. I don't think he's a he's not too notable, as you mentioned. He'll be the uh, backup to Carlos Correa. <laughs> right who might not even be playing because his ankle is going to give out or something he's going to have to retire mm-hmm. so you got to be careful for that one yeah um but yeah jazz chisholm is being moved to the outfield and he went on record and he said i'm gonna go out there play center field and i'm gonna win a gold glove so he's pretty confident <laughs> about his ability to uh, i don't know if i'm that i like jazz field. chisholm but uh Center field is not is not a not an easy position, especially well, if you've been in you know, the infield. On the topic of infielders moving to the center field, I mean, we're gonna see what Tatis Jr. do that too, same league. So that's true. That's true. Well, that's just because I think the, the Padres, what the Padres have developed, is different because that's just a super utility system where everybody can play every position, and it doesn't really matter because they're dealing or they're working from such a position of depth. It's what the uh, the Rays have aspired. And that's have done. Yes, absolutely. In a, I would say a, a more smaller... subdued, yes, a more subdued sense, or I should say a less high profile sense. Is the Rays have done that. The but Taylor the, Walls, the, baby the, Taylor Walls. Oh, Taylor Walls. Well, the the less said about Taylor Walls, the better at this point. Um, but the thing is, the Padres can certainly do that. The Rays have done that. Um, I don't know that the Marlins can be doing that. Because the Marlins certainly do not have the depth that um, other organizations do. It'll be interesting to see Jazz Chisholm. I think Chisholm's going to do. I think he's going to do fine in the outfield. I think he's he's got got it all set for him, and I think he's going to do he's going to do great. It's going to be a transition period for sure, um, but I think he's going to do quite fine out there. And I don't think it's a problem that they have two pretty good hitting second basemen down there in Miami. Uh, they don't have anything really else. They have uh, uh, Sandy Alcantara, but uh, that's that's pretty much it. They got Joey Wendell. Oh, Joey Forearms. Right. Uh, yes, uh, Tampa Bay Rays legend. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, they yeah. don't they don't have uh, you know too much. But I've said this, and maybe it's it's not true anymore. But they have prospects. They got people coming, right? They. I just don't this. F- front office in my, we're talking about distrusting front offices um i i didn't mean to imply earlier that i distrusted the front office in san francisco i just think they should be held accountable the front office in miami i do not trust at all um i think they have made some very questionable decisions uh in recent years and i don't think this is a particularly distressing decision but i would have to wait and see how it turns out um to give it a final, you know, prognosis. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And maybe we'll see some uh, some names return to Miami. You know, a lot of older players like to come back and, uh, you know, relax in Miami and get a contract in Miami. But on a nice light note of veterans returning back to their storied franchises, Andrew McCutcheon <laughs> is returning to the Pittsburgh Pirates, which I would feel is probably a swan song kind of 
last season. Nothing's been announced on his retirement plan, but I think it's quite nice to see that. Maybe he'll grow out his dreads again and have an MVP season like 2013. Yeah, I mean, McCutcheon retiring in Pittsburgh certainly would be nice to see. Apparently, what he said to this point is that this season isn't a, you know, quote-unquote farewell tour as other players have done. But I, I genuinely, I wouldn't be surprised. It's only a one-year contract, but maybe he, he signs an extension to, to stay in there for his actual retirement season. Um, he's 36. I mean, he, he, like you were saying, he is getting up there in age. Um, so if this isn't his retirement season, it's coming soon. And it would be very nice, certainly, to, to see it with the Pirates, who we like to think we hopefully is an up-and-coming organization. <laughs> oh, hopefully, that's hope, hilarious. Hope and pray. Yeah, we're making um, funny jokes here, but um, yeah. all jokes aside, um, McCutcheon's pretty smart about it. If this isn't a farewell and he's trying to prove people wrong about his age and that he can still play at this level, he went to an organization where he's probably going to get a good amount of play time. You know, he could have went other places probably and been a utility and I'm not saying that they're not going to use him at utility here, but he's definitely going to be used a lot more because the team's just not that not good. A, not in terms of of average players. I would say the average Pirates player is below McCutcheon's uh, uh, at least his his historical standard. The thing that interests uh, me uh, genuinely, and I, I think it doesn't interest you, but uh, to open a spot for, on the forty man. To, to add Andrew McCutcheon, the Pirates dropped uh, Miguel Andujar, who was obviously at the center of that uh, Yankees infield controversy earlier this year, um, or I should say last year. Um, so, I mean, traded from the Yankees and now dropped from the Pirates. I think I, I like Miguel Andujar. I think he's obviously, you know, he's not a uh, an all-star or anything, but I think he's a solid infield uh, talent. Um, that is, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that adds another name to the market for, for places maybe like the Red Sox that are looking for infielders. No. No, you don't want Miguel and do I genuinely, I think he's, I, I think the Yankees should have kept him over IKF. And I think a lot of Yankees fans would say the same. Um, but, you know. What I have, whatever. Um, I, I have no words, no nice words for uh, Miguel, Miguel Andujar. I I have no doubt that he will be picked up at this point because all the other big names, really all the other names on the infield free agent market, are gone. Have been picked up at this point. And you know, there is a lot of confusing things whether or not some players, some of these veterans and and well utilized players are going to get picked up by teams. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but oh, Jesus. You know, there is a, a big name that definitely carries a lot of baggage with him that could be picked up by any organization right now <laughs> um, that goes by the name of Trevor Bauer. Yeah, that was that was a, a masterful segue, by the way. I saw the, the gleam in your eyes when, when the idea came to you. Yeah, I mean, Trevor Bauer, you know, he was, he was reinstated by uh, Major League Baseball and then released by the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, because the Los Angeles Dodgers don't exactly need uh, a controversy-prone pitcher um, who was just recently technically, technically, quote-unquote, cleared of sexual assault allegations. 
Um, and regardless of the truth of those allegations or not, it's very clear that he is a, um, or at least perceived as a toxic presence in Major League Baseball. So I think it's very possible that he do- he doesn't get picked up by anybody because I can't, whoever decides that they need, tra- that's the thing is that I don't know anybody, any team that needs a starting pitcher so badly that they would be willing to to risk the uh, PR nightmare uh, that it would be signing Trevor Bauer and to risk, the frankly, the, the uh, clubhouse atmosphere because all of his teammates hate him. Regardless of the sexual assault allegations, he's just not a good, uh, allegedly, he's not a good person to have in a clubhouse. Yeah, there's been a lot of issues. I mean, there are, I mean, there are the, there are players that do like him. Um, I don't want to, I mean, he's not a great guy um, in terms, I mean, I I wouldn't know him personally, but from what we've heard, and the Dodgers releasing him made perfect sense to me because of the people that they have in that clubhouse have legit, like, since he's been suspended, they've gotten people that actually just already disliked Trevor Bauer. So um, maybe there was some animosity there from them. But, well, he can definitely go to small market. My thing is, and I think a couple things come to mind. He hasn't pitched in a while. Right. He has not pitched in a long time in, in organized baseball. And another thing is, how much does he really want salary based? You know, like what what's what are you paying for for Trevor Bauer? What is his value? You know, because of his PR nightmare that you mentioned. Um, but I do think he definitely could go small market, and that's the probably the best place for him is to rebuild an image in a small market team where all of that chaos is, you know diminished quite a lot because not a lot of people are going to be talking about him unless he's doing well in the sport right you don't think it's it's and i'm not saying that this is what i think but i certainly think it's a possibility that he goes overseas for a year or two to establish that he is you know still in a still a a top tier pitching talent um and then test the waters of free agency back in the in the majors you know two one or two years removed from this whole situation i don't i'm not saying that that's what will happen but that's a possibility and certainly pitchers have done that before gone overseas to japan to korea or whatever um to establish them themselves and and add to their resume sure i think it's possible i just don't know if he's gonna be doing that because i think for him he wants to reestablish himself in the major leagues he's coming up to I mean, we don't know exactly when Prime's end, but his Prime could be could be up. It could have ended when uh, the the whole scandal went down. But you know, I don't know if he's the type of guy that's gonna go overseas. The, one of the biggest things for me is that if he does go overseas, he's gonna bring that vlog camera with him, and he can make <laughs> some good content out there. Um, and you know, if he did a if he did a vlog in in like the you know. Uh, the Japanese baseball league or Korean baseball league, I'd watch it. He'd get, he'd I mean, get my viewership for sure. I just don't like, I, like you said, I think it's entirely possible that there's a small market team in theory that a small market oh, team go to taken. Oakland, but oh, Oakland. Yeah. Talk about alienating a fan base. Jeez. <laughs> go to Oakland. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's one way to get out of the Coliseum to make sure nobody shows up to your games is hire Trevor Bauer. Um, 
I just don't see any small market team that would be willing to commit both the money and the really to commit the loss of prestige that it would be, you know, again, regardless of what we think about him, people are not going to like it that your team signs Trevor Bauer. Period. Point blank. But Regardless also, of whether he makes your team a better team or not, but I've it's seen not a lot of people. I mean, when the whole like MLB extending his uh, suspension past the judge's um, decision on the sexual assault, I mean, I saw a lot of people that were not happy that Trevor Bauer was still suspended. At least that was what. Right, I, and I, I'm not. So I don't saying... know if he's he's definitely not perceived as a good person, but I don't know whether or not it would be the biggest problem. I One of the biggest problems I think with Trevor Bauer is not actually his, you know, his legal issues, but um, his issues that well, if you have him on, his, on your team, you got to kind of work around what he says all the time, what he puts out there, because he's going to have that content that he's flowing out and then putting out there. Right. And that's the tough part. I just don't there's there's not a team that I can really point to and say that they would be willing to do that. Sure. And I don't I I think it's it's certainly possible in a vacuum that somebody would, but out of all the teams that are on the cusp that, you know, the teams that are able to say to themselves, we just need one more uh ace starting pitcher and we can be really competitive you know to make a run in the playoffs or to get a division championship or whatever i don't you know which one would would take trevor bauer trevor bauer you are a los angeles angel (laughs) (laughs) actually genuinely i think that's that is one of the most likely options um giving their uh spending uh history um and by spending history i mean being willing to spend money almost anywhere, regardless of whether it's deserved or not. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I don't know. He could be a Los yeah, Angeles that Angel. Up, that yeah. team's up for sale, so... It's possible. You know, if I bought if I bought the Angels right now, I mean, first signing, obviously, Trevor Bauer. I mean, it just makes your <laughs> team so much better. And um, you just got to do it. You just got to do it. And you know what we've done, Camilo, is we've done this podcast. In the new year... And we look forward to uh, continuing to do better, I think, this year with the World Baseball Classic coming up. You guys can expect a lot so of So excited for that. A lot of content. So we're so jazzed. Dude, like, team, even... like Team Great Britain playing in Pool C in Arizona, we're jazzed. We are jazzed. We are so jazzed and about the World Baseball Classic. We, you could, you guys could see a big influx of content that we were putting out. Well, maybe. Um, we look forward to doing <laughs> that. And we do thank you for listening to this episode um, of the Two Scene Podcast. And if you guys are interested, I mean, I haven't been too active, but I'm, I'm looking to get more active on Twitter again. Uh, you can follow me at Tyler underscore underscore Foy and Camilo. Uh, you can follow me at Fonseca underscore ESQ on Twitter and other, uh, no, just Twitter, just on Twitter, just on Twitter. <laughs> and once again, we thank you for listening and we are excited to bring you guys so much more content in this new year. <laughs>